This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Greg Ibaugh, president of the National Association of Departments of Agriculture and the director of the Nebraska Department of Agriculture. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Greg Ibaugh next. America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance more now than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting more than 290 million acres of farmland and more than 130 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. This is AgriPulse Open Mic, a celebration of the 100th anniversary of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, kicks off this week in Washington as state leaders join together for their winter policy conference. NASDA's mission is to promote agriculture domestically and globally, to stand up for states' rights, and to lobby for positive federal legislation and regulation. NASDA President Greg Ibaugh says they support food safety, but state ag leaders have concerns about implementation of the Food Safety Modernization Act. Well, originally, you know, as Congress passed the Food Safety Modernization Act, they didn't include funding aligned with the implementation of the act in passage of the, the original policy. And so we've worked with Congress, we've worked with FDA, FDA has asked and Congress has delivered some funding for the parts that uh, we are in the beginning stages of implementation of at this time. You know, the $104 million that's been added to FDA's food safety budget uh, is is a direct reflection of, you know, NASDA's ask and NASDA's interest in uh, getting Congress to support financially the statute that they passed. You know, we're not there yet. There's a lot more components of Food Safety Modernization Act that still have to be worked out. There's more regulations that will come out of implementing that uh, legislation. And so we are going to continue to expect Congress to uh, fund that food safety priority that they have, have made. It's an easy title to say, and it's one that a lot of people can stand up for. But the devil's in the details of this, because when you talk about food, we're talking about domestically produced fruits and vegetables, crops, livestock, and we're also talking about foods that are imported from other countries and how to treat all of this fairly. And I think that's definitely an important part of the discussion that NASDA is bringing to the table as well, is that, you know, we're understand why Congress uh, wanted to move forward. And it's important for us that consumers have great confidence in the food supply because that's something that we're really proud of as American agriculture. And I think it's important to continue to create that demand on the consumer side that revolves around the confidence in American uh, produced food that comes to their table. But conversely, we also want the food that comes in from other countries to be subject to that same standard and to uh, have that the same assurity to consumers because you know not only you know is it a black eye if there is a foodborne illness for all of agriculture, but it's also a competitive issue for us. We want 
other producers in other countries to have the same um, expectations and investment in food safety that we're making here domestically. There's a number of different agencies who bear the responsibility of food safety in the country, and I think one of the questions that has been raised about this particular effort is that the FDA comes on farms. Right, and uh, the, the FDA's authority through the Food Safety Modernization Act does come on farms. And I think that FDA is talking to states and state departments of agriculture about how we at the state level can implement the expectations that are made of FDA. And so that's really where uh, some of this funding and uh, the expectations that if you're going to ask us to fulfill your responsibility at a state level, you need to pay the bill for that as well. And that's to FDA and Congress uh, that we're, we're relaying that expectation. And, uh, you know, it's also reaches farther than that in that some of the feed for animals that become part of the food supply is also part of some new inspection regulations that are coming from FDA as well. Do they have the staff to do this? You know, FDA, the feed side of it is a great example of where uh, FDA has partnered with states to do agreements with the state to provide funding to be able to have, uh, like, say, Nebraska as a state uh, learn the regulations, train our in-state inspectors, and fulfill their responsibilities. And so far, that's a success story of how NASDA and FDA have worked together to accomplish a win-win. So let's talk about money, $104 million in the appropriation process. Will that pay the full bill? It pays the the bill so far for what we're working on implementing and where we're at. Uh, Like I have uh, referenced before, there are, that's not the whole expectation of the Food Safety Modernization Act. There are still more regulations to come, and there's going to be more costs associated with those regulations. So it's an ongoing process. Care to guess how much you'll need? Uh, we haven't made that uh, that estimation yet because we haven't seen what the regulations coming out of FDA are. Another issue that you mentioned was that of pollinators. There is a science and there is a sensational element to this point. What is your concern with pollinators in the relationship of growers and government regulation? Bees and pollinators are very important to many farmers and ranchers. And there are some crops that are produced in states across our nation that are dependent on pollinators. So agriculture is as much invested in the future of pollinators and in pollinator health as any environmentalist is because we need them to, in many cases, to pollinate the crops and the fruits and vegetables that we're producing. And so I think that's the important thing to remember first off. And NASDA has focused on putting together a partnership and we're actually going to host a symposium with USDA and EPA and the Honeybee Health Coalition in March to be able to uh, try to work together to to have state-managed pollinator protection plans and to also provide additional tools to states to be able to help farmers promote pollinator health. Some of the concerns, I think, of agriculture have been for knee-jerk reactions to take away what some might see as a probable cause but unconfirmed. 
And I think in, when this discussion started and, you know, the sudden death uh, became recognized as a, po- a problem in the, in the bee industry, there were a lot of people that jumped to conclusions about what was calling, causing the problem. And so, uh, you know, that proved to everybody involved, I think, that, you know, we needed to take a step back. We needed to have the right research in place to know and uh, be able to confirm or disprove theories that existed out there. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of work has been done to bring science to bear on this so that as we move forward, we're implementing strategies that will actually be successful instead of uh, limiting access to things that may not even be part of the problem. Some outside the industry were pointing fingers at Neil Nix when some of the industry were pointing a clear finger at the varroa mite that was causing a tremendous problem. And some conditions that we can't control and that of weather. Regardless of the point, we're losing pollinators and a collective effort to try to restore their health and maintain them is critical for the industry. Yep, and that's what that collective effort is exactly what uh, NASDA has brought to the table and said, hey, we want to work side by side as a partner in that collective effort to succeed in uh, being able to assure that uh, we have a healthy pollinator population. As a part of this, there have been concerns that approved chemistries, approved pest management products would be taken away and other concerns that new chemistries and new genetics that would help industry survive have been manipulated as a part of this process. What you're talking about is are we incenting agribusiness to work with us to help us move agriculture forward in the future by making them believe that if they invest in the research and the new technologies that will help us be successful and help us protect the environment and curb diseases and harmful pests that they can be assured that uh, you know science will prevail and that they can if they can prove that their product is safe and helpful that they w- it will be able to be used and so i think that's what's important with this discussion is that you know we give those companies confidence that uh, we in agriculture and at EPA and FDA support their efforts to bring safe chemistries to the industry and that we go through a sound scientific process that everybody knows up front what the rules are and can trust in. There are a few items, I believe, over the past couple of years that have drawn as much attention as the waters of the U.S. definition from the Environmental Protection Agency. It's in courtrooms, it's been in Congress, and it is still in place. What is the concern of waters in the U.S. by the State Departments of Agriculture? Well, you know, agriculture in general has uh, very uh, extensive concerns with the definition and the expansiveness or the, the ability for it to be interpreted in a very expansive way and is concerned, uh, frankly, about whether or not uh, uh, a regulatory agency such as EPA uh, might use that to overstep the bounds that states are comfortable with, that industry is comfortable with, and that, frankly, Congress is comfortable with in light of what the intent of the statute was originally. Some would suggest the vagueness of the definition ultimately gives the EPA a blueprint to provide whatever regulation they would want for any watershed in the country. Uh, what is yet to bear out, either in the courtroom or in the Congress, that should be said? 
Well, you know, I think one of the things that's important is that we construct public policy, whether it's at the Congress or in our states, and when you construct public regulations, whether they be federal regulations or state regulations, that are worked out in that public arena. And as we move into the area where we rely on the court to make an interpretation and to start defining what our our laws and what our regulations really mean, that isn't the body. We don't want the courts to be the bodies making those decisions on a regular basis. And I think there's a lot of fear, and we've already seen, you know, it's entered into the court phase that the waters of the U.S. rule is, unless Congress steps in or the courts just strike it down completely, it runs the risk of being something that courts decide what the parameters of the rules are, and that's not good public policy. Twelve different nations of the globe have come together with a trans-Pacific partnership representing 40% of the gross domestic product uh, of the globe. It is uh, available now for signature by governments and then for ratification. We're in the evaluation phase now. Uh, With regard to the State Departments of Agriculture, how do you view uh, this particular agreement, and what's important now as we consider and look toward debate in Congress over ratification? As we have been part of the negotiations and watched the negotiations on the TPP over time, American agriculture is a huge beneficiary of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. The tariff rates and the quotas and the limitations that are being reduced or eliminated as a result of this agreement creates an unbelievable opportunity in some of our biggest marketplaces uh, across Asia. And so we're very excited about the prospects that uh, TPP brings. Uh, TPP also represents an opportunity for us to not only do something big in the Asian marketplace, but it's going to set the example for what we can do in other trade agreements around the world. And hopefully some of the successes we've had in TPP can translate into successes that we hope to have in the TTIP negotiations as well that would help normalize trade in the European Union between Europe and North America. And then we have huge opportunities as we, I think, is we will see uh, not only to TPP, but TTIP, hopefully in the future, we'll see other nations want to join into these agreements because we they will see them as the type of agreements that are going to promote that flow of goods back and forth around the world. What happens to the rest of the globe if the U.S. walks away from this deal? Well, I think that we put ourselves at a great disadvantage. We give South America a huge free pass to be able to enter into agreements with this region of the world, and uh, we really put our farmers and ranchers at a huge disadvantage. And uh, conversely, that means that we put America at a huge disadvantage as we look at the jobs and economic activity You know, a lot of the reports that are coming out that are analyzing TPP are talking about it in terms of increasing wages. 
it, it doesn't actually, a lot of these reports aren't talking about a lot of new jobs, but they're talking about the jobs we have becoming higher paying jobs as well. So that's definitely a benefit to all of American society. As we look also to issues, and one that wasn't mentioned at the, the top of the program, was that that some see as perhaps the top issue in agriculture, U.S. agriculture today, and that coming up with a label for foods that might contain ingredients from genetically enhanced crops. How important is that to your state departments of agriculture? Is it in the, the wheelhouse of discussion? Yes, it very much is. And and this would be a, a place where there are some states that have already stepped forward and taken positions on labeling. And so you know, we don't have universal 100% agreement on this, but we have a, still a large majority of states within our uh, NASD organization that really feel that we can't have a patchwork of state regulations that control interstate commerce or influence interstate commerce. We can't have 50 different uh, state uh, approaches to labeling. And so we really feel this is something that has to be uh, taken care of on the federal level. And uh, you know, with the news that Secretary Vilsack's um, group that he convened to try to discuss and find common ground was not successful, and uh, Senator Roberts' indications that the Senate will act in the near future. Those are all encouraging words that definitely have NASDA's attention, and we will be reaching out to uh, the Senate and to other groups to try to um, make sure that a reasonable, workable uh, federal system uh, can be devised. Well, we celebrate with you 100 years, the 100-year anniversary of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. And, Greg, we want to thank you for being with us here on Open Mic. Uh, and as it is Open Mic, it is an open forum, and, sir, the audience is yours. Well, on behalf of NASDA and the 50 uh, State Departments of Agriculture, as well as the producers, the farmers and ranchers ac- across our nation, uh, you know, we're just very proud to represent the most robust, most advanced food production system that there is anywhere in the world. As farmers and ranchers, we're very proud to also produce the safest food that can be obtained anywhere in the world. And that we hope that, uh, you know, we can work with consumers to help them understand the technologies that we utilize on the farms and ranches across the United States and for them to understand and become comfortable that the regulatory process between USDA, EPA, and FDA really provides them sound assurances that they can feel comfortable going to a grocery store and buying food for their families. You know, when we think about our nation's agriculture, you know, it's very similar to the state of Nebraska's agriculture where 98% plus of our farms and ranches are family farms and ranches. It's families producing food for families not only across our nation but around the world. And as we produce that food, we're, uh, we take a part of our production in many cases and feed it to our own children and grandchildren as we uh, ship the rest of it uh, to be uh, put into commerce and fed to other people's children. So, 
you know, if if that isn't assurance enough that um, you know we're willing to feed what we produce to our children and we're confident in it, and that we're being careful to make sure that we protect our children, uh, just as we're protecting children around the world. Our thanks to Nebraska's Greg Iba, president of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. For AgriPulse, I'm Jack Nally.